Hello everyone, this is Rico, and you're listening to Tracks in Sci-Fi. Why am I speaking like William Shatner all of a sudden? <laughs> uh, probably because I was listening to some William Shatner singing the other day on my iPod, and it was pretty funny. Some old music of his. Anyway, today is December the 4th, 2011. This is Podcast 360, and today we've got a, a special show, a special guest uh, that I uh, spoke with yesterday. Uh, we're going to have author Michael A. Martin back on the show to discuss his latest Star Trek novel. That is going to be the bulk of today's show. Got a couple little other announcements and things to talk about, uh, but I will do that right after the intro music here, and then we'll get right into the interview with uh, Mike Martin and talk all kinds of Trek and books and fun stuff like that. So stand by. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Okay, folks, uh, I am back. Uh, it, uh, it's been a good week. Uh, I don't have a whole lot that I want to talk about here up front. Uh, just a couple of things uh, related to the podcast and, and just upcoming things, but I'll save some of it towards uh, after the interview with Mike. Uh, but the biggest uh, news that I wanted to share this week that was online uh, related to track and sci-fi that, that I saw was that this seems pretty darn official now. J.J. Abrams has officially sort of denied the rumor that uh, Benicio Del Toro is going to be in the next Star Trek movie playing Khan. Uh, that, you know, rumor has been floating around for a while. It's not saying that Benicio Del Toro won't uh, be uh, have a part in the movie as a, a guest star or a guest actor or a villain or whatever, but... J.J. Abrams, the director and guy behind basically the next Star Trek movie and the last one, has denied that he would be playing Khan. So I think that pretty much confirms we are not going to get a retread of of a previous Star Trek villain or story that they're going to come up with something new here, which is, um, I think, is fantastic news. I, I, I love this and I'm happy about it. I could again see them doing Khan. It's been about 30 years since the you know, the Wrath of Khan movie came out, and there's a lot of people not even probably familiar with that story. But I, I think they could certainly do something new and cool and have it be really a fun and do their own kind of version, you know, not really version, but do their own Wrath of Khan, you know, how great that second movie, uh, second Star Trek film was. So I'm very excited, very happy to hear this. So a couple of little announcements that I wanted to mention before we get really rolling. Oh, sorry, got distracted there for a second. Uh, the wife is heading out Christmas shopping, and uh, I just uh, had to give her Christmas ideas, which are terrible. For I'm, I'm bad at that. <laughs> I just don't really need a whole lot. So anyway, uh, uh, related to uh, other things, uh, I just wanted to say uh, shoot me an email if you ever have a comment for the show or a suggestion for the show, treksf at gmail.com. I try to mention that now and then or at least once per show. And uh, join the forum if you'd like. Uh, there's a great community over there. 
just go over to uh .com and click on the forum link. You'll need to send me an email, use that email address to set you up with an account on the forum. Uh, since I have the uh, kind of more automatic registration turned off because of uh, these all these bots and stuff they are out on the web these days and i was just getting too many requests that were all junk with you know email addresses of like abxxhgdfq at gmail.com probably not a real person you know when you get an email like that but okay i think that's uh, everything i needed to cover i'm going to come back at the very end of the show after the interview with with mike martin and uh, just mention a few other things about upcoming podcasts and stuff like that. But uh, sit back, relax. I think you guys are going to get a kick out of this interview, and it was a lot of fun speaking with Mike. So uh, here we go, and I'll talk to you at the end. All right, everyone, this is Rico, and today over Skype and various other forms of, of uh, iPhone 3G technology, <laughs> I have uh, author Michael A. Martin back with us, and we're going to discuss his uh, newest novel. I think this is the newest novel, right, Mike? This is. Yes, this is the newest novel uh, in, set in the Star Trek Enterprise universe. It's called The Romulan War to Brave the Storm. So welcome back with us here on Treks and Sci-Fi, Mike. Well, thanks for having me, Rico. Yeah, glad to have you. And I, I want to first say thanks for uh, getting whoever it was that was uh, sent me a copy of your book to read. I spent the last couple of weeks reading it. I'm not the uh, I'm not the fastest reader. I tend to read a little bit whenever I have a few moments at lunch, at work, uh, a little bit in the evening, but uh, but I, I got through, and uh, not that it's a super long book or anything like that, but I, you know, I'm literally like reading 15 minutes a day. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Some people can do those audio book things. I don't know if any of your books, Mike, are on audio format. Uh, are they? I think they have made some audio versions of some of them. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm not sure. Do you tend to read that way at all? I, I know people sometimes call it reading, uh, you know, via audio, but uh, I've never been very good at being able to do it that way. I guess I'm too old school. <laughs> yeah, I do it occasionally, but uh, it tends to. Uh, it, it's easier to stay engaged when I actually have to burn some calories um, uh, looking at the symbols on the paper and. Oh, okay, uh, you know, right. As opposed to just passively listening, I'm going to tend to uh, do that at night and fall asleep. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people I hear that, you know, they say they, they, they listen to books in the car, and I, I've tried to do that a few times, but I, I find that I, you know, I'll try to, you know, something on the road I really should be paying attention to, and then next thing I know, another paragraph or two has gone by, and and then you're constantly having to what what was that what did he say you know and and then well if I if I still had the, the big aggravating commute that I used to have back in the nineties when I worked in uh, the uh, high tech field and just every day you're trapped in this this slow moving parade yeah this, this traffic jam you can see from outer space and you're just crawling along yeah that uh, that's that's the ideal uh, environment for an audio book. Yeah, uh, I, I tend to pay attention to except the bumper in front of you. Yeah, yeah. When there when there are times like that, I used to I was doing in not too distant past doing some traveling between Illinois and Michigan for work, and there were a lot of times on the open road where there wasn't much traffic, and you know, yeah, I would listen to a lot of podcasts that way, but uh, not too much audio. But anyway, getting back to to the main topic, uh, 
Now, now, I guess just maybe you could give a, uh, the listeners some background on this book, and I know it's kind of a follow-up to another book as well. So why, why don't you go through that a little bit for everyone? Right. It's, sort of, it's sort of a culmination of uh, several books, and I actually should start by apologizing for the horrible sound of my voice. I'm getting over a chest cold, so uh, if I sound like... Uh, uh, we need to send and call nine one one on you. We'll, we won't worry. You you are getting better, right? I know we were going to talk last yeah. week, and we we put it off a week since uh, you weren't feeling too good. This is so this is that great time of year. <laughs> yeah, it is the season. Everyone yes. in the house is sick. Exactly. Actually, my, you're doing doing things you don't normally do, visiting people you don't normally visit. You know, eating strange foods. So, yeah. It's, and kids, if you have kids, kids are just petri dishes of disease. Oh, but, definitely. Uh, I guess, My, yeah, uh, I agree. I when mine were younger, I mean, I got some diseases I've never, ever gotten since. And before that, I even had pink eye once from my kids, which was no fun at all, let me tell you. So, yeah. Yeah, it, I think I've got diseases that they've had to name after me uh, from these kids. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, know exactly anyway. who, I know exactly what you mean. So I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better. So, But you're sounding good. Your you're 3G is holding up there. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's technology making up for the, uh, yeah. the deficits. I can hear myself going out live, and it's terrible. Um, anyway, back to the book. The, uh, this book is actually uh, what's well, the second and, uh, for now, last book in the Romulan War cycle, but it's also the culmination of the, um, I guess it's really the three books that preceded the first Romulan War book. Because uh, we got we laid a little bit of the foundation for this, Way back in uh, what was it, 2005? I guess it was with um, Last Full Measure. And if you remember, there was a framing sequence in Last Full Measure that let it out that uh, Trip is somehow still alive in the uh, early 23rd century or in the uh, right uh, exactly in the, time, the, yes. in the time frame of the of the launch of the of Jim Kirk's Enterprise, rather Robert Eagles. Enterprise and CC one seven zero one, and uh, we just sort of let that out and just left it there, and then we developed it in um, uh, the next volume, um, which was uh, the good that men do. Yes, I read. And, yep. Now that started off as sort of a rehab of uh, the series finale. Um, these are the voyages, which. Every uh, everyone's favorite Star Trek uh, series <laughs> finale. <laughs> well, I just say that uh, well, Andy and I were unsatisfied by it as it, as it stood, and uh, Margaret Parker, editor, felt the same way. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Paul Block at uh, CBS Consumer Products felt was in agreement with us. So we we actually just constructed a larger story around it. So that's where the whole saga of Tucker uh, spy. Began. Right. And that his, right. Death, his death was actually faked for the benefit of uh, anyone who might be out looking for him because, who, you know, who better to, to go on spontaneous than somebody that everyone thinks is dead? Oh, yeah, that's a classic, so, uh, classic uh, way of doing things. Yeah, so then that rolled into uh, Kobe Hashimaru, and then that saw just the sort of the opening salvos of the Romulan War, and then that took us in uh, uh, from 2009. Uh, the Raptor's Wing, which is the first official book in the Romulan War, and then we concluded. And that was was uh, was that you, you also? Uh, the, I was going to try to tell people, you know, you've worked with a partner on some of these books, but not all of them. I th- which one did you start doing the the solo books? Was it Kobayashi Maru? Uh, 
No, um, my first solo Star Trek book uh, would have been uh, Beneath the Raptor's Wing. When it was, oh, in okay. Release, the Kobayashi w- release, was, was also with Andy? Was a, right, right. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, Beneath the Raptor's Wing uh, came out initially as, as a trade paperback. Right, okay. And uh, that was that was sort of my uh, my... my, my solo album as it were and, right and uh, that's what started the i haven't read that one yet but that's what starts or uh is is has the little you know major title called the romulan war and then the subtitle beneath the raptor's wing on 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 that as well so that obviously gets into the war itself uh and then this book that we we're talking about today the to brave the storm is what continues that right uh now, when uh, when To Brave the Storm uh, was conceived, uh, they originally conceptualized the whole the whole Romulan War saga as a trilogy, um, and so I had a, a I had a sort of a middle volume uh, in, in mind, and uh, I had to put that aside. Uh, some bits and pieces of it I'm hoping I'll, I'll be able to exhume and, and use again in some form because there's some nifty stuff in it. Uh, but uh, th- that middle volume ended up having to be the concluding volume. Um, and for, for at what point, I didn't mean to uh, stop you there, but I, I was just curious, at what point w- did that change happen? Was there, are you saying then that, uh, you know, when you were doing like Beneath the Raptor's Wing, when you were working on that book, that you had thought that there were going to be two more books after that? Right, right. We okay. Were, we were kind of doing it like, you know, going a book at a time. The, the okay. understanding was, it, it looked like this is going to be a trilogy. Uh, but when it became clear, uh, you know, this has to finish it, um, that it is a came to brave the storm uh, had to finish it so I had to sort of switch gears and uh, but you knew uh, that though at least away. going going into pretty much the, the the to brave the storm book the recent book you you knew that that book had to be kind of polish things off pretty much sort of kind of uh, okay and then uh, so so that's why it takes us without to you know without giving any spoilers right. uh, it does literally take us to and a little bit past the end of the Romulan War, so you do see the the very beginning of the Federation, you know, the the signing of the Federation Charter, and uh, right. Which, I should get a little, mm-hmm. a little bit of a glimpse beyond that. More than that, I won't I won't say because I don't want to spoil that because because I think it's it's a nifty little. I think it'll make everybody smile. Yeah, uh, no, I mean. Yeah, just to uh, no. just to uh, to go back just a tiny bit at. And I may have asked you this the last time we spoke. Uh, gosh, it was easily more than a year ago. But uh, doing doing books and set in the Enterprise uh, universe series, that television show, was that uh, how did that come about again? Were you guys tasked with they wanted to do this series of and, and they're like you said connected in in, in sometimes in, in in little ways and bigger ways, but. Were you guys contacted, or are you a big Enterprise fan, or how did that all start out? Well, I think, if I remember right, uh, well, it all started with um, uh, Last Full Measure, and that was conceived as, you know, we were just pitching stories. Okay, right. And, and so, you know, we, we pitched an Enterprise story 
to to Margaret, and what we what we always look for, uh, and, and what I always look for, and, and of course at the time Enterprise was still an ongoing series at the time we started pitching it. So it wasn't until mm-hmm. uh, we got into the writing of it that we actually saw the contours of the series completely. We saw the series end, and it became known. You know, by the time by the time the audience had that book in their hands, they they had seen the finale and they knew what Trip Tucker's fate supposedly officially was. Right. I mean right. that even somebody like, you know, Will Riker, Deanna Troy believed that Trip Tucker had died on that last voyage. Right. Uh, and that was that was written in granite as far as the official record went. Yeah. But again, uh, being sci fi and, and you know, being, you know, crafty authors, you know, there's always always ways around things, so Well yeah, there are always possibilities. Yes, so that's, that's the best we, best way. But that, that's when we started uh, kind of seeing, like, well, maybe there's there's something bigger we could do here, and then they, that's when we actually did a framing sequence around it, um, and that also sort of mirrors um, uh, one of the one of the sort of classic, uh, you know, TLS Star Trek novels from about uh, I don't know, fifteen or twenty years ago, The Final Reflection constructed the same way with this framing sequence and then the interior story the main tale is sort of a flashback and but told sort of under the proscenium of this this uh framing story uh and that's kind of the the format we we picked yeah and uh, i obviously enterprise too being uh you know the the shortest run well except for the original series you know they only got four seasons but it seems ripe for doing more with it than they were able to do, you know, in their four seasons on the air. So I, I, I'm, you know, I've been pleased that you guys are working on these books. I don't think, are there any other Trek authors doing anything in the Enterprise universe right now? Not at the moment. I think it's been since 2009, I guess it was. It's pretty much, it's pretty much just been me. I think it, yeah, it has entirely just been me. Um, they, uh, I mean that that I don't know if that was I, I think it just sort of ended up that way. I don't know if that was that was by design. Yeah. Uh, but they yeah. they hadn't planned on you know doing a whole raft of, of enterprise books though. Uh, so when they needed one, the logical thing to do, I guess, was just to you know uh, continue what it what had gone before. Um, so sure, especially <laughs> since you had set a lot of things in motion and set a lot of things up. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I kind of enjoy those kinds of, I've read a lot of, uh, you know, these various series of Star Wars novels, too. You know, a standalone novel is, is great now and then, too. But I I tend to, since I, maybe it's just because I enjoy, you know, some of these TV series, too, that tend to tell an ongoing story to some degree, um, that I I enjoy books that have connections to previous books. Uh, there's a lot of series out there that I've read, fantasy, sci-fi, and so forth, that do that. Again, standalones are fun, too, but I think sometimes it's nice to have some time to to tell a story that's a little bit more involved and a little more depth. Well, yeah, and that was that was mainly what I, I hope I accomplished with the preceding book, the Beneath the Raptor's Wing. That was a very big, sprawling book, and it, it obviously the crew of Enterprise, while they, they have to be the focus because it's an enterprise book. They can't. It, the focus is also on the Romulan War, and obviously, it, it's highly improbable that this the small uh, 
group of characters is going to be involved in every aspect of the Romulan War, you know, all the way across. Sure. Uh, just like any any big thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah. It, it, it's an immense region of space where it's all unfolding. Um, so well, that's why you saw so many chapters that uh, involved other characters, like, you know, a journalist giving... Uh, a sort of a you know a, a running commentary from the front lines and going progressively further and further out from Earth. That's yeah, yeah, thing. exactly. Right, right. That um, that part. The um, I was going to say the uh, in the current book, the the, the main uh, or the most recent one to brave the storm. You actually have uh, you you have some reasons for the Enterprise being you know kept sort of on the sidelines, basically. Right. You know, it's it's it, you know it has to do with their you know being a fairly critical you know starship that they don't want to possibly you know get you know something happen to it in a way. I don't want to say too much either, but there are reasons. It's not just like uh, you know <laughs> we weren't patrolling in that sector at that day and time, so we weren't at the battle of whatever. But uh, you know, there are other well, things I, going on. Yeah. Well, in the in the first book in, in uh, Beneath the Raptor's Wing, we saw what at least two uh, uh, of the uh, NX-class starships get destroyed, and, you know, Starfleet really wants to avoid that. I mean, that's their ace in the hole. That's that's the, the, the their most, you know, forward uh, design. So right. um, they're not going to want to risk Enterprise if they don't have to. Um, of course, that's you know, bothersome to to Archer and his people who want to feel that they're making a, a contribution to uh, protecting Earth. Yeah, especially but, since they are some you know a ship that could make a difference. You know, being being one of the more advanced craft that they have and all that. So it is kind of a little, you know, it's like not putting your best player into the game. You know, I don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> so why don't you just stay back here, not play today for a while? So uh... right. It, Exactly, and for reasons that go back to, as you see in the narrative, go all the way back to Gene Roddenberry's inspiration, Horatio Hornblower, or you know, one of Roddenberry's big influences in in uh, creating Star Trek in the first place. Right. Um, uh, which was the you know the nautical uh, saga of an officer rising through the ranks in Nelson's Navy, um, and so you know I try to have a lot of stuff like that, not only sort of meta references like that. Uh, that makes sense in terms of the story that's unfolding, uh, but uh, also some stuff that shows the real linkages between where Enterprise may have been heading at the time it was uh, sort of you know, prematurely uh, canceled and uh, on, on its way to, to becoming the, the TOS universe. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of the technical stuff about you know how they had to make certain adjustments in their technology because of the Romulan War. Um, that yeah. account for the fact that they, they go from looking like, uh, you know, this flat screen uh, electronic store, you know, they go from looking like the Apple Genius Bar to uh, uh, something very retro. Uh, right, I remember, yeah, I remember some of your references to that, and the, uh, you know, you have a, you had a good way in this book to also reference things that even went back to, like, the original Balance of Terror episode from TOS, you, you you do a pretty good job of dancing around the whole we've never seen a Romulan before topic, you know. That was a real challenge. Too, <laughs> I, I, because... I would I would guess it was, and and I and I have to say you pulled it off pretty well. I mean it's it's 
it's tricky to fit those two things together, you know, shows that were 40 years or, or so apart. And, and with what had happened in that and with the earth outposts and a lot of things, I, I, you know, as, as someone who's, who's, who's pretty up on his TOS and, and loved it growing up and watched it to death, uh, you did a good job, I, I, you know. Kudos on that. And I, I don't think, you know, again, it's 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 very tricky to do. Well, thank you. It's uh, you know a lot of it is the uh, uh, just the happy fact that the uh, uh, the continuity of Star Trek is has held together as well as it has for forty five years. Um, that's kind of, uh, uh, I mean, that's something that that you know we've all sort of inherited. Yeah, and Enterprise as a show had to do it too. You know, they had they had shows where they they pushed that pretty much to the edge about as far as they could. Uh, you know, where they were dealing with things that they really shouldn't know much about yet, that kind of stuff. And you know, they even ran into I think a crashed Borg ship in one episode or something. So it's like, but um, well, there were instances when they sort of exceeded continuity a little bit by showing us. Romulan ships that could cloak, you know, and that shouldn't have been. That that wasn't quite according to continuity because in Kirk's time in Balance of Terror, a Romulan ship capable of cloaking that was a novelty. That was something that, you know, if that had happened a hundred years before, um, you think Captain Kirk would have been surprised by that. He wouldn't have had to figure out that that was what was happening. Uh, so. That's another thing that I try I try to account for in the narrative. Yeah, that's you know, a that's not, a tricky uh, tricky time uh, a tricky one to do. You know, you 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 think that especially a military you know isk Starfleet vessel out there would be aware of some of those things too. But yeah, that's you know you just sort of go well. I you know try to do the best you can with it and 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 just move on the. Uh, but they I I did notice you also had a few little references to some of the weaponry that the Romulans were using, especially the ones that they ended up developing and using later on in Balance of Terror in the original series. You touched on that a little in this book to a degree. Was that something that you wanted to put in there uh, consciously, or was that something you were or just sort of worked out? Well, I, I try to, I, what I would try to do, whether it was, you know, Romulan weapons or, or Federation or, you know, pre-proto-Federation technology, was just get out, I was going to say get out ahead of it, but sort of get just behind it mm-hmm. and, and try to figure out what they must be working on. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm not sure to what extent I succeeded on that because you always have to bear in mind that when these people don't know what lies ahead and they don't know what areas of research are going to turn out to be fruitful and which ones are going to be blind alleys. Right, and, so you can't uh, completely the, steer them down, you know, put them on rails and steer them down the path that they really, you know, there's got to be a lot of trial and error. Right, and that's the way discovery works. You all always figure out, uh, you, you, you make these great discoveries while you're searching for something else. Yes, yes, so, I agree. So it's always, <laughs> it's always an accident. I mean, that's how they figured out uh, the transistor and they're pursuing some other line of research and just kind of stumbled over this other thing. And that's why something Isaac Asimov said about, uh, about discovery, just in science in general, is uh, the most important phrase, a scienti- uh, word a scientist could, can say isn't uh, eureka. Uh, it's, uh, hmm, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that as somebody who works in, in that area and science and things day to day. It is a lot of, 
well, wow, I didn't expect that. Let's pursue that now. Let's look at that again and see if I can get it to happen again or whatever. But, uh, yeah, there is there is definitely a lot of that. And uh, it's, um, it, yeah, they're what are they, sometimes called happy little accidents, you know. So I, I wanted to comment a little bit about your use of the various Enterprise characters in this book. And how you you know you'll you'll do a sequence with with you know one group and then another group and I, I have to say that the you, you seem to to have their voices in a way is that the right word and uh, you know when you talk about a book the, the the way these characters you know seem to act and talk on the show itself in the book seems very you have that down pretty well have you studied this series a lot do you find yourself do you go back and like watch enterprise episodes to go yeah what what do they do what how do they hold their hands or you know or that kind of thing or the way they speak oh yeah yeah oh yeah i watch for that a lot it also helped the fact that uh uh while i was uh, kind of you know prepping for a lot of the romulan war stuff i was i was working on uh, uh a little project with my my uh, uh eldest son uh, we we call it our five-year mission we were just every night before bedtime, just watching an episode. Okay. And, uh, and uh, we happened to go through the latter seasons of Enterprise as I was going into that, and so I found lots of cool stuff. Um, you know, just things that jogged my memory, but also just getting exposed again to everybody's everybody's uh, uh, you know personal tics and the and the way they move and the way they speak, and and so I'm hearing that in my head, and I'm trying to recreate that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, when I when I do dialogue. Yeah, I, I especially found you know the the bits with Trip and T'Pol pretty pretty darn accurate that they seemed well. Trip is such a fun character anyway. You know he he's oh, it's a hoot. It, yeah, he, it's a he's, he's a great character and he has a lot of personality and and he, and he just you know there are without again no spoilers not getting away with that but he you know he he goes through a, a fair amount in this book and and uh you know i i liked his attitude about it all let's just say oh well thank you yeah i mean that that to me that's one of the highest compliments i can hear is when somebody says i you know, i can hear the actor speaking the line oh yeah yeah de- def definitely with with him and, and 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 most of them too i mean you know there's it's a lot. You had to cover a lot of ground in this book, so there. It isn't like we get you know to have a have a lot of time with you know maybe some of some of the other characters. You know there are little bits of them in there, but you know you have a lot of T'Pol, Trip, you know uh, Archer of course and all. And uh, I uh, also enjoyed you know some of Archer's frustrations with some of the things coming through in the book too. I, I thought that seemed very appropriate. Well, Archer's got the, the Kobayashi Maru. This is albatross around Archer's neck. Yes, and, 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 yeah. he, and he knows it, and he's confronted by that. And that's one of the things that uh, one aspect of his mission. Where uh, I mean, not to, to, to do spoilers here, but uh, the, uh, the sort of charm offensive that uh, uh, Enterprise is engaged in yes. to break the storm. Um, while they're quietly gathering useful intelligence, they're doing all these good deeds. Partly, that's Archer. While he's he's frustrated with that kind of picket duty, he's also sort of expiating his guilt, uh, whether it's justified or not. But the guilt he feels about Kobayashi Maru, even though, even though even Mayweather, who who stomped out of the scene mm-hmm. over Kobayashi Maru, uh, realizes 
you know, after his arc is completed, he realizes that uh, there wasn't any. Nobody could have made a better choice. It was impossible for anybody. Right. And, well, that, he, yeah. So even yeah. even once Mayweather realizes that, I mean, he's Archer's harshest critic in this, and he realizes like I couldn't have done better. Nobody nobody could have fixed the situation. Yeah, uh, and you know, and but, being yeah, being the captain is always that you know. They even started Archer's it. Still, you know, Archer's still saying I, I should have found a way. Right. Yeah, they're always the hardest. You're always hardest on yourself, and being the captain, you know, he he feels the weight of all of that, you know, so much more than probably anyone else would. And it's, uh, you know, he has to be the, uh, you know, they touched on this in the original series all the time with Kirk, especially, you know, it just has to be the goes perfect. All the way back to the goes all the way back to the cage. Yes, that too. When we first yep. when we first see Pike, what's Pike saying? I'm thinking about quitting. Yep. Because I couldn't protect my crew. Yeah, and I love that stuff in that first, you know, in that episode in the, in, the, in the first pilot because he says things, you know, I look around, he says some line, like, I look around that bridge and they're all, you know, waiting for me to make the right decision and then, like, you know, what if, what if I don't make the right decision, so. Oh, and Balance of Terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. well, they, they, they you know, they, there's a lot of echoes of, of all of that, you know, throughout, and I and I like that, you know, connection between all these captains, these great captains, and you know, realizing this isn't such a, <laughs> it's a hard job. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd want it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, I think. They... And, a, and a largely a thankless job too, because, you know, Archer is, I mean, he, he even if he does forgive himself, he's still got, um, he's still got people in, in cultures across the galaxy saying things like, uh, Ooh, Archer, whose name means weapon that slays at a distance. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. He's got he's got kind of the, you know this this big cloud or, or something hanging over him, and uh, that may be hard to uh, to ever get rid of. Or was it? Or was it wielder of weapon that slays at a distance? Yeah, that's what I wrote. Yeah, it looked like uh, to me that you enjoyed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of obviously this book's you know the Romulan War. They're fighting the Romulans, and it isn't like it's all from the, you know, the Federation side of things or the Starfleet side of things. You know, there's a lot of Romulan stuff going on, too. Was that enjoyable to write? Did you want to include, you know, to show both sides of the conflict? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I wanted to do more of that, but, um, you know, just I only have that certain amount of space available. Sure. Um, it's always possible to be more. Um, I, well, I... Actually, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like there's plans for another one because there, are, there actually aren't. But when I um, had a little conversation uh, a few months back with my editor, where I was, you know, just kind of reflecting on, uh, well, now that it's all over and that's the last one, and he kind of stopped me and said, "Well, you know, not so fast." Yeah. So, Wait a minute. What? 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 Whatever. What, what is he saying? Is he offering me something? Well, no. But he just said, "Hey, never say never." <laughs> Sure. So, yeah, I, I would love to. You know that there. You know, you guys either get to explore more of this this war, perhaps some of the early days of of setting up. You know, these outposts in the neutral zone. There's a lot, obviously, a huge amount of stuff that could be mined and done. You know, for all of that uh, in, in the future. And uh, so, but right now, nothing at least official coming for another Enterprise no. book in this in this time frame, or even any other time frame at all. Or no, no. No plans I'm aware of, although the uh, the, the, the Trip and Paul fans, or the, the ones I hear from the most, they seem to be clamoring for it. Uh, 
felt. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, they can have you know they can have the little uh, little babies, and you can do Enterprise the Next Generation or something like that. Slip something in a little bit further, you know, between uh, further down the line from them, be just a little before you know Kirk and stuff. They're you know. I, I love the same big anthology with everybody, uh, like everybody who's doing doing Trek books now, David Mack and everybody, you know, keep the Canada, whoever, um, contributing stories that you know slot in somewhere in into the Romulan War, um, and just have some sort of tales of the Romulan War. Um, oh, okay. But I, I'm just spitballing. I'm not talking about the yeah. that are actually planned. So they uh, uh, do you follow? Get myself in trouble here. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, the uh, do you uh, do you have time? Do you follow? That's a good question, though. It leads me to uh, do you follow a lot of any of the other Trek authors and what they write? Do you read it? Do you converse with them? I mean, how much uh, how oh, yeah. much of that do you stay involved with? Yeah, I try to keep up. It's uh, yeah. it's tough because I'm I'm reading stacks of stuff that isn't Star Trek related too. Yeah, um, it is tough. I'm sure there. Uh, are there plans, or you do you ever look into, or have you been looking into writing something in, you know, say TNG time or Voyage or any of those, <laughs> any of those appeal to you, or have you got, you know, little well, things actually, cooking? Right now, I'm working on I'm working on a uh, USS Titan book. Oh, which okay. Is a direct a direct sequel to last year's um, uh, Titan uh, Seize the Fire, which was uh, part of the Typhon Pact. Uh, this one is actually just picks up just uh, weeks, really, or a couple of months after Seize the Fire. Um, and, you know, Titan is still in deep Beta Quadrant space, and the mission goes forward. But they're also faced with some of the consequences of the the finish of the Typhon Pact series. And, you know, what, you know, the, the big uh, precipitous uh, geopolitical shift that's happened, you know, vis-a-vis uh, Andor. Uh, and that's going to have an effect on Titan's crew because we have we have one prominent Andorian character and a half dozen others that uh, have been um, there all along that are going to step forward and be a little more important. Good, good. Uh, I, I like. Titan is supposed to be the most has, has the most diverse crew composition of of the entire Starfleet. So um, yeah, it's an def- opportunity to definitely got a large a variety of of uh, crew members on that ship. A lot, a lot of different things to deal with, and you know, we were we were lucky back in the old days of having you know one little Vulcan aboard or whatever. Now it's like people that live in water and weird gravity and all that other stuff. So, well, it's because they have an unlimited special effects budget, and makeup <laughs> budget. Yeah, I still I still keep hoping for on a on a you know sideways topic, but I, I still keep hoping and, and not understanding quite why. We never have gotten another animated Trek series, you know. I, I, I just with the technology and computers and things these days, and and I think the Clone Wars for Star Wars has done pretty well for itself. I, I just it it kind of boggles my mind a little bit that you know with that 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 we haven't gotten someone who said why don't we do another animated Star Trek series? I mean, and I know there's been a lot of little rumblings and talk, especially in the last year or two, but uh, it's uh, I don't know. Well, I don't have any moles on the inside, but uh, yeah. yeah, I would love to see. I would love to see something like that. I, there's no reason why they couldn't. Uh, I mean, it would be a big, it would be a huge success if it was done as well as the Clone Wars, um, or you know, with the bombast of uh, you know, like the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, um, there's so much sure. that they could do, you know, with it compared to even the Clone Wars, where the Clone Wars still has to kind of 
pin itself in there, you know, in what George Lucas has already done, you know, and they, there's only so, they're, they're pretty, you know, they do a great job. I enjoy the series, but, you know, their hands are kind of half tied together a little bit, you know, none of the main people can really die and, you know, so forth and so on. And so, but yeah, I'd well, love it depends on what, what phase of the continuity you're writing in. I mean, if they decided to do a series like that and set it, you know, out at, at approximately where, where we're writing or, or put it in the Abrams universe. Yeah. Actually, that would be ideal because then what we're doing in the, in the primary Roddenberry verse wouldn't be affected by anything they do. Yeah. Speaking of that, on what a, we're still I, working with. is there, um, I thought I had seen or read somewhere, and I, I'll admit that I don't keep up, and it's way too hard. I used to, but I, too many things to uh, take my time away these days, too. But are there people writing J.J. Abrams' Trek Universe books these days, novels? I, I thought that I had heard that either there were some coming or maybe even some out already. Well, there were four um, Abrams-verse novels uh, commissioned, and I, I, I think some or all of them were completed. Completed, but uh, very shortly before the first of them was to be released, uh, Pocket uh, withdrew. Oh, they, them. they canceled it. That's right. They, that's they what I. Them. That's what I heard. Yeah, that's why it's not really ringing too many bells. I did remember hearing about that they were going to do it, and I was kind of excited because it seems to be taking, you know, now four years between movies, and then. And then they said, yeah, it was so did you hear or know of, did they have a big reason? Was it a, a, a legal rights thing where they, where they just couldn't quite work all that out? Or did they think there wasn't the market for it? Never got a clear answer on that. So that, that's still kind of a mystery to me. I don't know. Um, uh, there, there, I, I'm assuming there isn't some sort of general uh, object, objection from Bad Robot to, to doing that those sorts of things, though, because uh, IDW Comics are doing, um, they're, they're doing some kind of a direct yeah. sequel. Yeah, they've started a, right, they've started yeah. a sort of a little, a little series of, and I think they've only got up to like issue three now, I'm a comic fan, so I've, I've looked at those, and you know what they did with the first two issues, they just told, retold Where No Man Has Gone Before with right. Gary, Gary Mitchell. And they just kind of retold that, and I think the next issue is supposed to sort of retell the Galileo Seven. Now there are some. And I don't. People, <laughs> I don't, I don't think those are are written by those guys. Aren't are that isn't written by uh, what Orsi and Kurtzman, right? So. Yeah, um, no, I don't think so. But they. Uh, yeah, so so I guess there's no general objection from from Bad Robot to to, to doing that. So I don't know what pocket. Uh, you know, hasn't uh, moved forward on that. Yeah, but, the only uh, thing I was thinking of is that, you know, the, the movie got delayed and perhaps they wanted to have things, some kind of synergy and have things coming out around the time of the movie and that's gotten delayed about a year. So maybe it will get fired up again come like late next year or early 2013 because the movie's now coming summer of 2013, I think. So maybe. Yeah, I don't want to get myself in trouble by speculating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just trying. You know, sometimes in you being a book author, I, 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 and you probably hear from this about other people, and you, you know, we all see it too. I mean, there, there's, there, they love tie-ins. <laughs> there, you know, it's sort of, uh, there's plenty of uh, examples of that out there. Of you know, hey, we've got a hit movie. Let's make some books. Let's make some uh, comics. Let's make some TV shows, cartoons, whatever buttons. <laughs> well, I was, I was yeah. delighted to see that that. Uh... 
that they'd gone ahead, but IDW had gotten the green light to go ahead with that because then who, who knows, maybe, you know, maybe uh, Pocket, maybe the viewer to do some of that sort of material at Pocket in the, in the Abrams universe. Um, yeah. I haven't heard of any yeah. well, plans I did, to do I that. Well, I did read I certainly some. Got, I certainly got some stories in my head yeah. that, that would be perfect for that. I did read it at some point somewhere when they were talking about this new comic series, and now I'm not sure that if this has changed or been, you know, somehow altered, but they had made mention that once the comic series and the movie start getting closer together, in other words, say six months before the next movie comes out, that they were going to start to sort of try to tie it together. Like you would start to see possibly little hints and things that were going to be in the movie connected into uh, the the next, you know, that was going to connect into the film, that they would start hinting at things or things would come up in the comics. And that's what kind of intrigued me to start reading it and picking it up. But now we're a good year and a half away from that. So we'll see if that still happens. But they did state that. They did say that was their plan. Well, they've, so they've you know, got some real precedent for that because they did the countdown comic that exactly. led into... Exactly, right. Um, it was a, sort of the prequel to, to Spock, to old Spock coming back. Yeah, and I think that was a well-done piece, and I think that that was good for fans that wanted to pick up the comics. You you know, you have to be careful, of course, that you don't want to have things that, like, if people walk into the movie and you got to figure, well, there's some tiny percentage that have actually read those comics, but most people haven't. So, you know, you don't want to have a lot that, oh, gosh, who's this guy? Who's that person? Whatever's going on here. You still have to make well, the I, movie on its own. I, I, got to, yeah. I got to mine some of that material myself for one of my own projects because I was... I was the author of this the Star Trek Online novel. Uh, right. Okay, I remember that. Uh, the, yeah. The, yeah. The needs of the many, and uh, the the timeline that the game Star Trek Online is based upon is essentially the same timeline, or, or, it, or it, it it folds into it the same timeline that involves uh, Spock, but you know the, the destruction of Romulus and Spock going back in time. Yes. Jellyfish. Right. Um, the ship. Yep. That's a cool right. ship. And, I always like like that ship. As a, that's as, as established in the Countdown comic, which shows us without a lot of explanation. Here's Captain Beta, uh, uh, whom I think the only the only uh, explanation we're given is that somehow they've managed to kickstart Beta's uh, backup files in B4's body, and so I get to you know construct the whole story around that for the uh, interview with Jordy LaForge. Uh, that portion of, of uh, the needs of the many, and uh, I, uh, I I hope one day to get to expand that into a whole novel because there's there there is a there is a whole huge significant story that turns on uh, Data's return. That's uh, uh, sort of like a, uh, the way I envisioned it was uh, Jordy's story as as he tells it in uh, in the book it's almost um, you know Herbert West from uh, uh, Lovecraft's uh, reanimator uh, sort of crashed into Stephen King's pet cemetery oh my and, and set in the 24th <laughs> century um, yeah well it was I think there are a lot of TNG fans that that felt you know with the last film with nemesis and and and, and what happened with data even though they kind of left it open, but you know that it's still a little. I think it's a little bit of a you know a sensitive spot, you know, which would be the way to one way to say it or whatever. That especially since that ended up 
seem seemingly to be the the last of the TNG movies. You know that they were. You know, it was kind of like really data. You know, and then but yeah, he obviously can go on. He's a machine, so and they you know backed him up. <laughs> they were smart computer users, so. <laughs> Hey, uh, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I wanted to hit on a one little other side subject, though, uh, uh, since it's it's sort of fresh in my mind. Last week on the podcast, I did a podcast about Roswell. Oh, yes. I it, listened to that. enjoyed that quite a bit. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Uh, I, 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 want, I don't know if you're aware of it, but Andy and I wrote the, the we wrote two novels that actually finished off the series that's exactly what i wanted to uh touch on since it'll be fresh in my listeners minds i think that you guys wrote yeah yeah, you wrote two novels uh, and and what are the names yeah uh pursuit and turnabout and uh those finished off between the two of them it was like a two-part finale and um i don't know if you could find either of them i think uh i I don't know maybe pursuit might still be available turnabout is rare as frog hair yeah. Um, well, it's you know, it's something for people to, you know, seek out on, you know, eBay or, or at conventions. You never know what you find in those boxes of, of books all tossed it underneath a dealer's table. So, I wish I had a few copies. <laughs> yeah, well, just, just out of curiosity, when they do like a print run of a paperback, you know, say something like that, I mean, how many do they do? Is that a is that a trade secret? Is it is it like, it does it vary hugely depending on the book or whatever? I'm sure it does, but uh, you know. Like, well, I think they they make the print runs fairly tight to the orders. I think, and I think that's probably been that's no secret. That's probably been standard interest, industry practice for paperbacks, since. even for 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 just a paper well, paperback. Well, or? for anything. Yeah. Well, there was a there was a uh, court decision. A number of years ago, called uh, Thor Power Tool, huh. and it had to do with inventory taxes. Okay, and, you know, at the time that you take, you tot up your inventories for the year, um, and then whatever you know unsold merchandise you had, you'd be taxed on that. And uh, so publishers fell in into that same category, you know, as manufacturers. So it's in their best interest ta- for tax purposes. Uh, to shave their print runs to as you know s- small a number as they possibly can, oh, so they okay. have as little you know as little you know holdover stock in a warehouse somewhere as possible. So that's why you see a lot of multiple printings. Right, uh, right. They'll say like you know yeah it was originally printed in you know 2001 or something like that, and it's been reprinted ten times since then or something. Or whatever. Right, I've had I've had books that have had like six printings that still haven't earned out the advance, you know, because they huh. uh, you know they make small print runs. Now, yeah. I mean, I'm, that's it's not just pocket; that's just the industry. Um, I wonder how that's going to change now with the whole you know Kindles and, and iPads and the digital age because print on demand. And, yeah, you know, well, once you've got the you know once you've got a a, a book like I'm looking at your listing here on Amazon. You know, you have a Kindle edition, and and it's like, well, as far as I know, unless the Amazon goes away or Kindles go away or something happens, that's never going away. I don't think. Do they go away? Are, are those no, limited right. time? You know, are they, in other words, like, uh, will will we get to the point where, 
you know, Kindle editions will have little dates like say, you can only buy this until the end of 2011 and then it will be no longer available. I don't know. Ah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, they can they can withdraw stuff. Right. Sale. I mean, right. I, I mean, they can even sort of revise. Uh, I think it's the publisher, uh, you know, fixes some typos or something. But um, and you, you, you must have miraculously fixed on your Kindle. Yeah, but you must have something set up with contracts and agreements right now that it must be kind of open ended. You know, with, with a, a book like. Uh, the Romulan War to Brave a Storm, you know, there was a print run of X amount and you, whatever your contract is and how all of that works. But the electronic versions, you know, that's there. Anyone can ever, you know, they can always go and buy that at about a dollar fifty cheaper, which I'm happy to see. I'm glad to see that. <laughs> I, I, I have a personal annoyance at paying exactly the same for an electronic version of a book as a as a printed copy of it. I just that's just well, it looks like <laughs> for the most part the the Kindle edition prices are about the same as the uh, the dead tree editions well this uh, one i'm looking I, mean, I haven't yeah I'm i haven't look- made a study of it but uh yeah it varies a little bit we um i'm looking at your uh your two romulan war books you know to brave uh the storm and the previous one they're both about a dollar looks like a dollar fifty dollar sixty cheaper the kindle versions oh. versus the paper versions at least with yours oh. but it varies a lot there's a lot of I've seen paperback books that are both both are the exactly the same price, and then I've seen some that are the Kindle edition is is you know a couple of dollars cheaper. It varies, but they're usually pretty close. But getting back to the other point about you know I I wonder if you know with electronic things you know like this if if this is actually going to keep um, reprinting books uh, you know if that's going to happen less. In other words, if it's out of print, for example, I wonder if we're going to start seeing, you know, books that are out of print in a few years. Because electronic and Kindle, I mean, we're, we're talking about a fairly new thing in the last couple of years at the most. You know, they've had electronic and e-books for a while, but it's really only started to catch on, I think, in the last couple of years a bit. I'm just yeah, curious. E-books, Go ahead. e-books really haven't, haven't had an opportunity to catch on. Sure, I on agree. Until something, until something like the Kindle becomes commonplace. Yeah. I mean, obviously... People aren't going to watch a lot of television until there's television sets everywhere. Sure, yeah. Uh, and the Kindle is just the same thing. It's, but I'm just uh, wondering if that's going to keep wide. reprinting and, and, down. And it's just the, the prevalence of the Kindle uh, software app. You know, you don't even need to have a Kindle to consume the Kindle edition. So, yep. uh, yeah, I mean, you, you could do it on your iPad it. or something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. I think it's only now kind of hitting that sweet spot or that tipping point uh, where now there's an opportunity for um, I mean there's huge growth now in in ebooks and uh, I think now it's probably I don't know what the numbers are like but they're they're probably starting to look comparable to the numbers on the print side well there was a Uh, uh, an article not that long back just this year that was basically said that um, Amazon had sold more Kindle editions of books than printed books at some point in time. You know, in other words, and I don't know I if, if that fluctuates. Year, I, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that at some point this year that that had happened. Right. I haven't seen the, the numbers, so I don't know if that's just if that's just happy talk. 
or are unhappy talk, depending on what side of the Kindle fence you're on. Yeah, well, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of convenience factor and a lot of things going for it. And uh, I was going to ask you a question, though, while we were talking about this, and, and then we'll, we'll probably wrap this up. But uh, do you ever, with all of, you know, this electronic stuff, do you, do you ever think of the idea of self-publishing something? Uh, you know, without, you know, a, a printed copy, but just go straight electronic only and have, you know, create your, you know, some little project that you've always wanted to do and, and do it. And, you know, that it's just like the music industry and a lot of other areas that it, it, the the barrier to doing that is so small these days, it's pretty much non-existent. So you can... Well, I think that's, that's yeah. increasingly where the future lies. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get specific about projects I have right now. I have no, I'm just wondering if it was more or less something you thought about, about, if you've thought about oh, yeah. that. And yeah, yeah, I, I would. It's fascinating. I mean, uh, I, I try to uh, sort of appraise the future. Yeah, we and, all do. <laughs> uh, this is different. definitely where the world is, is heading. I, I, can, I can envision a, a, a time not too far from now when the standard procedure, rather than, you know, taking, schlepping your your original property, you know, your manuscript to a publisher, uh, where you just format it yourself. Um, you go to somebody who specializes in design and have them do your book jacket for you. Yeah. You go to a, a freelance line editor, to you know, or, or, you know, copy editor, uh, a, a line editor to um, uh, you know actually take you through, you know, whatever. Structural infelicities might be there in the manuscript. Mm-hmm. All the things, all the services that you now currently get in-house from from a publishing outfit, um, those things, I could easily see uh, an author, uh, you know, doing that. I mean, the downside to that is then you, you you can also envision a world where you don't have proper gatekeeping. <laughs> As it were, and, well, yeah. Uh, you know, if you talk, annual yeah. craft gets published, and how do you choose? How do you discern? But I think that'll sort itself out. Yeah, there's sort of something, sort of kind of you know, old west or freewheeling about that, though. You know, I mean, I I, I think that uh, you know, still the good stuff comes out, and there's with you know the connectedness of the internet and people. I think you know, word of mouth gets around. I don't even know if that's the right way. Word of keyboard. We maybe we should coin a new phrase, but. You know, I think I think people still have, you know, they get to like a certain thing, and I think other things they don't, and and, and that still gets around more more than ever in a way. So, uh, well, what'll happen is the electronic retailer will increasingly become the gatekeeper. Yeah, and then you're seeing yeah. you're seeing Amazon moving into the publishing realm, um, and uh, you know that that's going to just be kind of like a natural role uh, because they're not going to want to uh, you know represent a lot of amateur crap. Yeah, you were talking at the beginning before we kind of really got officially started about, you know, writing on, uh, I think, your laptop at a local cafe. And there, uh, do you do everything electronic then? Is everything shot around to, like, uh, you know, your, your editor and stuff electronically? Is there anything ever, you know, do you, do you print all those pages out and shove it in a big envelope? Or does that still happen even? I haven't done that in 100 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I rarely... Uh, print anything out anymore? Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the only the only uh, stuff on paper, the occasional um, you know sketch on the back of a cocktail napkin sort of thing, or calculations on the literally on the back of an envelope. 
but uh, no, yeah, no, the days of uh, cranking out complete uh, manuscripts are uh, that's that's really going away. I mean, I used to say. I, I've really become a believer in all the electronic stuff. I used to say, well, the paperless office would be about as practical as the paperless bathroom. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you still need but, paper but sometimes. Part, but... So, yeah, but I mean, you really don't... The, the, um, the, the days when you had to print out whole manuscripts have gone the way of the, you know, the pounding out your, your work on a 1908 Underwood. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, sometimes that's it's fun to watch, you know, one of those old black and white movies, you know, where you're, you know, in the newsroom and everybody's banging away on the typewriters and stuff. I, uh, you know, it's... somebody else, somebody <laughs> else, stop the presses. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's uh, there. There was something that made it look. I, I saw this cartoon, you know, a few years ago, and 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 it said something like, uh, how, did, "How did people ever look busy at work before they invented computers, or something like that?" And I I work at a fairly large company about 500 people and i'll walk down the hallway and look in everybody's little office and cubicle and everybody's staring at their little screens and you know it's like wow what did what did we do just like 10 years ago or whatever how, how did we manage <laughs> i don't know yeah it's just well you know it just keeps evolving yeah yeah uh, and our kids will never you know they, they don't know any different way at all so they're, they're you know they're the next generation so uh was there anything last uh, at the end that you wanted to mention, uh, Mike, about anything in the in the future? Anything else? Uh, you're uh, mad at work at your next book, or are you just uh, right now taking a little break? Or well, no, I'm I'm busy at work on uh, uh, Fallen Gods, uh, which is the title of uh, this, this new Titan book. Uh, it'll be out right, in the right, fall yeah, of, uh, fall of 2012. Um, and like I, uh, I might have mentioned before, it explores goes a little further into some of the consequences of uh, uh, what happened with uh, Andor and uh, the Typhon Pact. Um, and I, I'm not sure to what extent I'm, I'm, I'm making spoilers, although people have had plenty of time to read and digest the Typhon Pact. So, uh, oh, one it could be common there was one last thing. I wanted to ask, and I had it kind of jotted down here. Do you, do you guys, uh, you know, you and you mentioned you 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 speak with and and have contacts with other you know Star Trek authors? Do you guys tend to feel that without having like a television, an actual weekly TV Trek series, and and the fact that we've had a pretty long wait till the next film, do you feel that Star Trek fans like myself and others do we turn to books more? Do you guys feel that that there's a more of a need and a you know, a market right now for, for Trek books because of that situation? Well, you know, I, I tend to think so, although it's hard to gauge that because the market's changing fundamentally. Yeah. So it's hard to say, like, well, how much, I mean, if numbers are, are shifting, if they're growing, if they're shrinking, how much of that is due to... Could be a lot of things, this, right. All of this geologic, you know, rumbling under the surface as, I mean, we've never seen a more fundamental shift as we're going, making this jump into digital... Mm-hmm. This, this slow, yeah. uh, you know, encroachment of of digital into the uh, into the paper world. Um, so it's really hard to you can't separate those things out. You can't control for them like in an experiment. Um, I like to think it's in some ways it's sort of echoing how it was in the seventies. We had you know long yeah. drought, <laughs> no Star Trek on screen, and yeah, back the in only those... way to get you, 
Yeah, the only way to get your fix was those Bantam paperbacks. Yeah, I was going to say, and, I, I read every Bantam paperback as they came out. I mean, there was a little bookstore. You, you waited, and oh. you were, like, camping with a oh, sleeping bag. There was a bookstore <laughs> within walking distance of my house, fortunately, where I grew up uh, – uh, for the most part, and and I would haunt that place and ask the guy, you know, do you know when another one? And this was again, you know, back before you could find out the exact, you know, dates of all this stuff on the internet when things were coming out. And he said, well, I think there's supposed to be one coming out this summer. I'm like, oh, okay, and you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, unless there was a friendly bookstore person, exactly, who share share information from his order form with you. Yep. Or, or somebody at a, at a news distributor who would talk to you, you didn't know until it was out. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. well, our kids will never be able to relate to that because they have, you know, 24-hour hot and cold running Internet. And, you know, they snap their fingers and, you know, anything they want to know about just, just appears in a puff of smoke. Yeah, and, um, and, and things that, you know, it's so easy for things, you know, misinformation out there, too. That's the other thing that you have to have uh, – a keen eye and a good eye for and a good ear for in a way of just how much gets like we were talking about a few other things throughout this hour and they're just you got to be careful about what you say as fact i always try to say well this is what i've heard or at last report or i'll use some kind of paraphrase on it that it's like well this is all you know or i say this is kind of what they've said but who is it that said it and you know that's why i let everybody know when i'm just theorizing or spitballing because uh yeah as twain as twain said uh, but a lie can get all the way around the world before the truth can get its boots on well you know yeah exactly and there's just the you know the only constant is change you know too that's right. you know anyone can change and their the minds same. and it's, it's the same with innocent misinformation yes um, yeah well hey it's been it's been great talking to you again i i really looked uh looked forward to this and, and it was it was wonderful and and uh, I, uh, I want, just hang on a little bit uh, after, and, and we'll chat a little informally more. Not that we've been super formal all along, but uh, <laughs> everyone, again, I just want to uh, thank uh, Mr. Michael A. Martin, uh, the author of this new Romulan War novel, To Brave the Storm, for being with us on Treks and Sci-Fi today. Thanks a lot, Mike. And the forthcoming uh, USS Titan novel for uh, next fall of 2012, uh, titled Fallen Gods. Yeah, and add in to go ahead and say, do you have a an official website? Might, might as well plug that in too. Uh, I I do not, but I am easily I am easily findable on Facebook. Okay, all right. Uh, as as Michael Martin with it without the A. Okay, all right. Thanks again, Mike, and hang on the line, and I'll be right back. Thanks, Rico. All right. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview and enjoyed it as much as I uh, had a fun time with uh, Mike talking to him yesterday when we recorded that uh, over uh, Skype. And basically, I used Skype calling his iPhone, which worked out pretty well. You can uh, you can call phones via Skype and uh, it works. And I've done that a few times now. So thanks so much again uh, to uh, Mike for taking the time to speak with me. He's a great guy, really easy to talk to. And I 
urge everyone to check out his new novel that we discussed uh, and also his other novels, too. Just go over to uh, – the easiest way to probably do it is go over to uh, Amazon or whatever book site you use, Barnes & Noble or whatever, and just search for uh, – Michael A. Martin, probably uh, with Trek in the search thing, too. Or you can just look up his other books. Maybe you'll be lucky and find one of those Roswell novels that I'm going to be now on the hunt for, too. So, uh, again, thanks, Mike, for uh, speaking with us. And uh, I just, again, want to uh, say that uh, it's it's great to uh, get people on the show, and I always enjoy interviewing them. And having uh, a little chat like that is always a nice way to uh, do a podcast. So, that's about it for today's show. I am going to uh, just go through real briefly here what's upcoming on Treks and Sci-Fi. One announcement here, and I was going to wait till next week, but I guess I'll just slip it in now. Starting next month, starting in 2012, I'm going to basically move the podcast to a every other week format uh, with possibly some guest spots for the off weeks. It's basically a time thing. I, I find myself short of time these days even more than ever, and uh, needing a week off now and then. So it's it's a sort of official 2012. Uh, Treks and Sci-Fi will be more of an every other week podcast. But again, I'm hoping to at least each month or so slip uh, a guest spot in there. So there may be an occasional missed week, but it probably won't be a lot. I'm hoping we can have at least maybe one guest host each month to balance it out a little bit. So maybe there'll only be one missing week in there. But the upcoming schedule that's what I really wanted to talk about. Uh, next week, I'm going to look at the TNG episode, The First Duty. That's the Wesley Crusher tale of, you know, lying under oath and Starfleet and that accident that happens and everything when he's at uh, training in the shuttles. I think they're using shuttles at the time. That's going to be on next week's show. Then after that, the week of the 18th of December, I'm going to look at the classic Ridley Scott, uh, I was going to say sci-fi, not sci-fi, classic Ridley Scott fantasy film Legend starring Tom Cruise. That's always been a favorite movie of mine. I've mentioned it a few times throughout the years doing the podcast, but I thought I'd look at the the movie as a whole and, and devote the whole show to it, So, or most of the show. And on the 25th, hey, that's Christmas. Yes, I am going to do a podcast on Christmas. Probably do it a little bit ahead of time, maybe. Who knows, however I'll do it. But it's going to just be kind of a fun, relaxed, play some uh, Trekmas music. Speaking of that, we've got a new song coming from Rick Moyer at the end of today's podcast, a new Trekmas song, so stand by for that in a moment. Uh, but that uh, Christmas show is just going to be uh, just a relaxed little show. I'll just chit-chat about whatever, maybe about Christmas, maybe about sci-fi fantasy, some of the movies that have been going on, TV, whatever. But it'll be a little bit more informal show. Then on the 1st of January, we are going to do the Secret Santa vidcast. That's going to be where everyone who is participating on the forum in the Secret Santa uh, gift exchange to send in a short video talking about your gift and thanking your giftee or gift giver. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And just uh, just having a little video show with everyone's Secret Santa. And uh, just I'm, I want to tell everyone, uh, please, uh, when you're doing those you know, keep them pretty short. We've got, I think, 12 people involved in that. So even at three minutes each, that's 36 minutes or so of of Secret Santa thing. So I'm going to set, you know, three to four minutes kind of as a limit, I hope. Uh, and uh, I think that should be plenty of time. But So that's going to be on the 1st of January. 
Then on the 8th, which was going to be an off week, but now Rick Moyer has stepped up and he's uh, volunteered to do another year in review for Treks and Sci-Fi, the podcast. I know he, if you've been listening for at least the last year, you remember early last year, uh, Rick Moyer went through the previous year's podcasts and talked about them and chatted about the different ones and, and everything that we had uh, talked about in 2010. And now Rick's going to do that again for the 2011 podcast. So that's great. Fantastic. Thanks, Rick. And on the 15th of January, going to look at the Voyager episode, Hope and Fear. And then on the 22nd of January, right now, that's going to be an off week. And on the 29th of January, uh, we are going to start a little... Uh, new thing that uh, Kenny and I are going to do periodically. We're going to go through the Harry Potter series. Basically, we're going to look at each uh, book slash movie or movie slash book and talk about them and and just go through it really in as much detail as we can in, in one podcast. But Kenny is obviously a huge Harry Potter fan, and I enjoy him too. So we decided to get together, join forces, uh, team up and uh, go through Harry Potter. So we're going to do the first one of those, uh, covering the the um, uh, the Philosopher's Stone, or what 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 was it called here? The Sorcerer's Stone? Yeah, Sorcerer's Stone in the U.S. But uh, anyway, we're going to look at the first Harry Potter on the last of January. So that's the upcoming schedule. I'm going to post that. It's on the forum. It'll also be on the main website soon too. So that's it for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, reviews on iTunes are great. Donations are great. All that stuff and links can be found at treksinsci-fi.com. Stand by now. We've got a new song for the Star Trek slash Christmas season uh, by our friend Rick Moyer. Uh, another merry little Trekmas treat for all of you. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you again soon next week. Bye-bye. It's beginning to look a lot like Trekmas as we boldly go. Starfleet women and the men all going at Warp Factor 10. Making friends with alien races to know It's beginning to look a lot like Trekmas On the planet to which we beam There's foam made out of rocks And science officers spot on our own away team Romulan ale, a face that is pale A galaxy full of stars Planets with life and peace from the strife A colony settled on Mars The Prime Directive keeps us all From going way too far It's beginning to look a lot like Trekmas As we boldly go There's a ship in the shuttle bay The kind that will fly away that we can go to San Francisco Bay. It's beginning to look a lot like Trekmas. There's nothing we can't do. Take a seat in the captain's chair and let's go see what's out there. Discover civilizations that are new. Discover civilizations that are new. This has been a Rick Dosti podcast production.